media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You can go of one of two places this morning, Nehemiah chapter 4, or you can go to Genesis chapter 3. We're actually starting in Genesis 3. As you well know, I, I tell you that we visit Genesis 3 probably at least every other week in our preaching because that's where we see something significant that happens that puts in perspective everything else that we begin to see in the Bible that flows afterwards in Genesis chapter 3. So you can go, we're going to start off in Genesis 3, uh, but we'll quickly then be able to get right back into Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, I don't know, did you put that first? How many of y'all could could... Actually put that on your car and say, I am telling the truth. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have this uh, mindset that if we are the victors, if we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, that's how we're described, uh, that somehow that should transfer over to most of life, maybe not all of life until we get to heaven, but at least most of life. And yet uh, there are times, guys, that we just see such heartbreak and such tragedy. Just yesterday, um, from my own family, um, Many of you knew that I, I went to go live with my uncle and my aunt. They were probably the biggest spiritual influencers of my entire life. When my parents divorced, when I was six years old, seven years old, I lived with them. And he was a pastor, a pastor's wife. Uh, and their, their two children, my cousins, um, were just like brother and sister. And God, just in his supply and his sovereignty, gave me a place to settle in that tumultuous time of my life. And uh, they have been forever influential in, in just spiritual direction. Still, two of the most godly people I know are my aunt and my uncle. And uh, I was looking on Facebook yesterday, and, and now that those two cousins, they, they now have families just like myself, and they have children and grandchildren. And, uh, and one, I saw one of their children, and she was kind of showing off the baby bump, and it was just kind of cute. And, uh, and uh, it wasn't hours later that... Uh, Another one of their children posted, and they went to the doctor's appointment on Thursday and uh, to see if it was male and female. They were excited, as you can only imagine, and, and found out that the baby did not have a heartbeat. And um, now I shared that with you because these people love Jesus. They love Jesus. They just, they're just, if you ask them, okay, are you Christian? They're not just going to say, okay, yeah, I, I'm Christian. I kind of by default, I'm kind of Christian. No, these people live and breathe Jesus Christ. They, they truly know what it means to place their faith in their trust. And, and yet we see in, in that moment, just, I mean, just hours apart within a, a same extended family, I, I see this heights of joy, and yet we see the, these depths of, of grief and and sorrow. I ask you the question this morning. Is the Christian life supposed to be so hard? And, and there's a really practical sense that we can kind of answer that. And we can say, well, you know, we, we're going through challenging situations. And we've all suffered loss of some type. And we struggle with sin and temptation. So, so probably the answer is yes. But folks, let's be theological. Let's ground ourselves in biblical truth. If we're going to have a biblical worldview... We can't do it through philosophical. As much as we might have a philosophical thought from time to time, we really need to ground it in Scripture. And so theologically, could we answer that one way or the other? Is the Christian life to be so hard? 
And that's where we go back to Genesis 3. We, we find a foundation there in Genesis chapter 3. God had created everything perfect. But man sinned, man rebelled. And part of the penalty of that sin is the hardness of life. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, after the fall, God curses the serpent, but he also addresses how life will be changed now for Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and, you sh- and to dust you shall return. Not exactly a beautiful Christmas card. Not just kind of a, hey, thinking of you kind of card. This is the curse. This is part of the curse that comes with man's rebellion. But I want you to notice three things that are really important and relevant to the question that we asked this morning. Is the Christian life supposed to be so hard? In this... God doesn't stop loving Adam and Eve. In this, we find, if we just go up a couple of verses earlier, we begin to see the first mention of the gospel. And we see that God has a plan to restore a right relationship with Adam and Eve. Back in verse 15, the very first mention of the gospel in the Bible. But life is not going to be the same before sin. If you ground yourself in that biblical truth, if you have an understanding, a grasp of that, God did not create life to be this way. Because of man's rebellion, life is now cursed. There's a fallenness that we have to deal with. But God has not stopped loving us, and God has given us a, a hope in a future, not just in some philosophical way. He truly has now given us the good news of the gospel. So loving us that he would clothe himself in flesh and dwell among us. but with the promise that we're going to be delivered in this lifetime from all worry and trial and and hurt? No. We just don't find it here. Now go back to Nehemiah 4. You're going to go, okay, now where where does this tie in? In Nehemiah 4, we've been talking about the last couple weeks how they find themselves both in a call of God to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem, and they're halfway done. When we left last week, they were halfway halfway done, and, and yet there's opposition and the opposition is coming from these other provincial kind of kings. We would call them maybe governors. And they do not want Jerusalem to be restored to the former glory because they kind of have the power. And so it's a sort of a turf war we talked about last week. And so they begin to mock the Jewish people. And they say, well, even if a fox got on top of that wall, it would start crumbling down. And so there's discouragement there, mockery. Then there was a discouragement within the camp of the Jewish people. The Jewish people began to get very tired, and they would hear all this mocking. They would hear all these other things, and they became discouraged because the work was really, really hard. And yet God allowed them to be warned by the plans of the enemy. 
when we finished out last week, uh, the enemy was going to come and attack, and, and they found out God allowed them providentially to, to find out about this attack. They kind of prepared, and so the enemies decided not to attack because they didn't know that they would have victory there. So God is in their midst working all this time. And when we pick up with verse 16 this morning, Nehemiah has developed a plan to continue the work and, and also fight against the attack. Look at verse 16 and 17. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Now, can you paint that picture in your mind? Can you put that picture together in your mind, what that would look like? They continue to work on the wall because this is God's call for them. And yet they find this opposition, and it's not just an opposition of mockery, but it's life-threatening. They, they actually can face physical attack. And so they arm themselves. And they have spears, and they have swords, and they have defense mechanisms here. And as they build the wall, they have some people that are standing guard ready to be that first line of, we'll call them the Marines. That first line of defense. But then behind that, they have people that, okay, they're carrying things and they've got, you know, rocks in one hand and a sword in the other hand or a spear in the other hand. So they're doing double duty. And then they have other people that are there at the wall actually using maybe both hands to place the stones and the concrete and all that kind of stuff. And yet they have a sword by their side. This is the plan that they develop. Verse 18. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Now, do you see what's happening? Have you painted that picture in your mind from what God has told us in his word here? They're working, but they're ready for opposition. Now, remember, these are God's people. And they're actually involved with what we would call God's call. God's the one that has called them to to build up these walls. So is it possible to be God's people and involved in God's call and still find opposition in our lives? And biblically, we would say yes. This life's supposed to be hard. If we're more than conquerors, if we're the victors, if we're in Christ Jesus, you know, aren't we delivered from this? And we begin to see that that deliverance will not come in full until later. And that's why whenever we come upon Scripture, let's make sure that we look at the entirety of Scripture. Genesis 2, Revelation, the full disclosure of what God has told us. I, I guess we could always go back and cherry-pick a verse here and a verse there, take it out of context, and make it say just about anything that we would want it to say. If we really wanted to support some kind of uh, notion that as long as we're doing something for God, God's going to bless us a hundredfold, and we could develop some kind of mentality, even a, a prosperity gospel kind of mindset, even among people, but it wouldn't be biblical. It just wouldn't stand the, the test of Genesis to Revelation. That's why God has called us to be students of the Word so that we can handle the Word correctly. We can handle it in full. These are God's people. Well, wouldn't it be great? Anybody, Star Trek fans? I'm surprised some of y'all, now I can't do it, but I'm surprised some of y'all didn't kind of, yes, do that right there, okay? Wouldn't it be cool if God put like this force field around every Christian? 
You become a Christian, you, you know, and you start walking with God, and then all of a sudden it's like, no problems, no pain, no temptations. Big theological question for you this morning. Could God do that? Yes. Has God done that? No. And there's where some of the friction, there's where some of the rub is, okay, because when we know that God can do something, but God chooses not to do something, that's why we have to come back, okay, is he unwise in that? Is he wrong in that? And why we, I don't know that we would ever out loud say no. I can promise you that there's times in our lives that we begin to, to doubt God's Love for us. We begin to doubt his holiness. We begin to doubt some of those things because we have found ourselves in such despair. Do you think that's humanly possible? That we're so overwhelmed with grief, we're so overwhelmed with just the hardness of life. That in that moment we, we kind of leave biblical truthfulness and, and, and grounding doctrine and good theology, and, and we allow philosophy, and we allow feelings, and we allow all those things. Folks, we are feeling-oriented people. God designed us with feelings. And yet those feelings grounded in truth is, is where we're always going to see the most clear. And I can imagine that all of us could recall times in our lives that because God could have put a force field around us, we were so desirous that he had. Truth is, Adam's sin and now our sin have created a pretty hard life for now. For now. This is not the end. For all those who are in Christ, our home awaits us. Folks, this is not our home. It feels like home. It's been almost 60 years in this place, and so it feels like home. But in Jefferson now, so Jefferson kind of feels like home. This is not our home. And when we begin to understand that, it, it doesn't loosen some of the pain. It doesn't loosen some of the hardship, some of the weight that sometimes comes upon us in a, in a physical, mental, emotional way. But it corrects our spiritual thinking. Okay, God, I am just traveling through. Listen to how the Apostle Paul described this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting with verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. I love that description. Do you feel like a jar of clay sometimes? <laughs> we have this treasure, and yet this clay that we're made of, this, this vessel that we are, it's pretty fragile. We have this treasure. What treasure? To show us the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying, get this, verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Guys, you can say, well, you know, I got the part about affliction and Christ, I kind of, but man, what's the, all this stuff about, you know, the, the, the life of Christ being manifested in our bodies? We're not trying to, to be super theologians here, we're just trying to get it right, okay guys? And I, and I would ask you, read that, study that, see, evaluate your life in, in light of, of this great promise that if you're in Christ, the life of Christ is now manifested in our bodies. 
In one way, there's a spiritual truth that said you have already been seated with Christ Jesus. Is that what the Bible says? That if you're in Christ, you are already seated with Christ in Christ Jesus? Yes. And yet, I see a lot of you in seats right here. And so, and so which one of those truths are, are, are real? Actually, both. But our identity is now in Jesus Christ. And so our real, um, the most real identity that we have is already seated with Christ Jesus. And yet there's a reality that we live here. Those are not perpendicular. Those are not opposing truths. They're actually parallel truths because they both are affecting us at the same time. Paul goes on to write a couple of verses later, starting with verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Amen. (laughs) Our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now look what he says. When Paul says things like, you know, under the inspiration, when we say Paul said it, it's what God says, okay? But it's either the most hurtful things when he says, oh, death, where's your sting? That's either the most hurtful thing when you've just lost a loved one or it's the most glorious hope that we have. Because look what he says, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension and all comparison. Do you believe that? And yet, are there times that, that would, there would be a sting to that? There would be kind of a salt in the wounds when you're suffering incredible loss in your life? When things are just, I mean, not just upside down, they're upside down and twisted apart and torn apart. And you're going, man, this doesn't seem like it's so light and momentary. God is not lessening the reality of this life. He is maximizing who we are in Christ Jesus. And guys, this is not a philosophical argument. This is a theological argument. This is a biblical truth. Verse 18. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I ask you this morning, is the Christian life supposed to be so hard? If we're going to answer that biblically, the answer would be yes, because of man's rebellion in Genesis 3. But that was not God's original design. Let's not blame it on God that life is so tough. Let's understand where the fall came from and and where the rebellion oriented and that we are part of that rebellion. The second part of that question, are we to be defeated and discouraged? No. No. Go back to Nehemiah 4. Notice the plan of defense that God gives Nehemiah in verse 19. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Now what's happening? The people remember chapter 3, the chapter that none of the elders volunteered to stand up and read because of all those ridiculously long biblical names. And nobody else from the congregation said, well, I'll do it. (laughs) But one of the things that even though we couldn't pronounce all the names in chapter 3, what was the prominent word that we saw? 
next to, beside, next to, beside. In other words, there was this plan that God gave to Nehemiah where this family, remember what we said last week, the the Jones family was beside the Smith family and they were beside the Johnson family and and they were kind of lined up and they were all around. But Jerusalem's a pretty big city, guys. Even though there was a lot of people, there wasn't so many that they were actually just rubbing shoulders side by side. There was some distance between the Smith family and the Jones family sometimes. And so what happens now under threat of attack but what Nehemiah devises here is that, okay, guys, uh, we're going to give you a trumpet. And, and if you get attacked where you are, where you're working on the wall, blow the trumpet. And, and, and all of a sudden, the people that are beside you are going to come, and they're going to come to your aid. And they're going to fight with you. But most importantly, he says, our God will fight with us and for us. Do you understand what happened there? They had they have this sense of being a people, the Jewish people, but, but they begin to see the profit of community together. What do we draw from this? Life is hard, but you don't have to face it alone. One of Satan's greatest strategies that we have all, if we examine our life, we've all fallen for this at least a little bit, is isolation. Have you ever... Put more emphasis on how private your life is than that vulnerability that comes through. Hey, I'm hurting. I understand that we're private people. I get that. Some much more private than others. But I understand this morning that one of Satan's attacks against us, part of his strategy, is that when we come under the weight of attack, that we isolate. Uh, to, to put it in Nehemiah 4 terms, we don't blow the trumpet so that others can come and to our side. I fully acknowledge we're private people. Now, again, there are some people that aren't so private. You're going, hey, TMI, t- keep some of this stuff for yourself, okay? You don't have to tell us everything. But wouldn't you say that is that is a human tendency? That, that Because it is so private, because it is so hurtful, that sometimes, you know, just maybe the most immediate friend... And maybe, maybe not even then. And the strategy here is that when the attack comes, blow the trumpet so that the other people can come and, and God will fight for us. Verse 20, in the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. And our God will fight for us. God has an answer to Satan's strategy of isolation, and that is congregation. When God, when Satan says, okay, isolate, God says, congregate. Well, you'd expect a pastor to say that. But a pastor is just reflecting what the word says. The reality is that in this fall, in this struggle, because the struggle is real, I need you and you need me. And whether you're a one on that scale of of sharing and that is that uh, you don't share anything or whether you're a 10 and you share way too much and everybody knows your business. I don't know what your number is. I don't know where your comfort level is. I don't know where your kind of nature is. I just know that there is an, there is an attack spiritually against us in the body of Christ that we are to isolate at the very time that we need f- folks to congregate 
That doesn't mean that you get up in front of the whole church and tell everybody your business. It just means that you take, what did we say a couple weeks ago? People that we know are maturing in Christ. Not just people that call themselves Christians, but we want to go to people that we can see their maturity and growing in Christ. This is a good place to go. This is considering the counsel of, of wise, godly people. I totally get it. We are private people, especially when life is hard. But that's when we need to surrender our pride and sound the trumpet. Is the Christian life meant to be so hard? By original design, no. Because of man's sin, it often is. And that's why we need to stay on guard for the battle. Look at the closing verses. Verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon on his right hand. What's happening there? They're on guard 24-7. They're not even changing clothes. They're not, they're not putting on their pajamas. Building a fire, just kind of you know, taking it easy because it's been a stressful week. The attack, the vulnerability that they realize is upon them. Doing God's people, doing God's call is so much they said, okay, pretty much we need to be in guard all the time. Is the Christian life just supposed to be like that? reality, scripturally, even though God could put a cosmic force field around us, He has chosen in His wisdom and His glory not to. We want the fight to be over, and one day it will be. But right now, it really is a battleground, guys. Remember what we read several weeks ago in Peter? Don't be surprised. When suffering comes, don't, don't be surprised as, as if something happened to you that actually did not happen to Jesus Christ himself. You know, so the Bible never gives us this kind of thought that, man, you come to Christ and it is nothing but a rose garden. In fact, we get just kind of the opposite. But all of a sudden now we, we have an added foe. Let me end by this. The good news of the gospel. Has God put a cosmic force field around you to protect you from all evil and, and, and all hurt in your Christian life? No. But here's the good news. He did not abandon us in the rebellion. He came and he dwelt in the very place where there is this fallenness. And yet without sin. He clothed himself in flesh and he lived a perfect life and willingly and purposely died for our sins and then rose from the grave on the third day to bring life from death. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the reality of us who really would want a probably carefree, simple, kind of attackless life. This is our hope. But in your pain and, and, and in this spiritual warfare, God has not abandoned you. He actually came and he dwelt with us. Well, the writer of Hebrews said, you have this great high priest. 
one of the most incredible spiritual truths is that I can never go to God and say, okay, you just don't know. Is that not incredible that there's never going to be anything that you could ever lay at the throne room uh, of the feet of Christ in the, th- the throne room of God and say, well, God, you just don't understand. No, he clothed himself, mighty God, creator God, that we rebelled against, did not abandon us, but put on flesh and he dwelt among us. And he died in our place so that we could have life with him forevermore. This is the hope of the gospel, guys. Not a pain-free life, but the hope that God has already fixed everything. God has already, through Christ, finished this work. Is life hard? Is the struggle real? Yeah. Is there hope? Yeah, his name is Jesus Christ. And if you've never known this hope, I would love to talk to you this morning after the service. You can come up and ask questions. You can say, you know, Bobby, that's kind of a kind of a simplistic kind of view. Let me just tell you about this man who's forever changed my life. Tell me about this God that in my sin did not abandon me but chose me and now has seated me in heavenly places with Christ Jesus that I don't know the fullness of right now, but I will. The living hope of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we thank you that your word doesn't shy away from real questions. That, Father, we don't have to twist and turn a verse here and a verse there, but, Father, that we see a systematic answer through your word from Genesis to Revelation about the realities of both our sinfulness, but, Father, also your loving, your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. Father, the work that you did when you clothed yourself in flesh and dwelt among us and died in our place for all those who've placed their trust in you, So, Father, thank you that in the midst of a hard life at times, there is a living hope. And, Father, this is not a feeling, even though we can feel it. It is not a philosophy, even though, Father, I I believe that when we understand Scripture, it will make philosophical sense. No, this hope, this living hope, is a person, Jesus Christ. So we thank you, Father, for the gift of your only begotten Son, We thank you for his life of perfection, his death in our place, his resurrection, sealing forever our victory. And that we can say, even as we're walking in in hurt and pain today, I am now seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Our living hope, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you. As we pray all this in the hope that is that living hope, Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.